welcome to How Have You Not Seen That? Uh, my name is Wilson. I'm Crossman. And I'm Charles. Uh, this is a podcast where we discuss movies that we have not seen before that we should have. Um, so very often it will come up where a movie is mentioned in some social context and we will perhaps be dishonest or misleading about whether or not we have seen that movie in an effort to look uh, more informed, more cool, more cultured. Um, and we come clean about those uh, misleading statements on this podcast. Uh, Charles came clean about planes, trains, and automobiles last week, um, which we watched for this week. Uh, Charles, tell us about the movie. Okay, so in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, a uh, marketing executive named Neil uh, is working in New York. Uh, it's two days before Thanksgiving, and he has to get home. To uh, Chicago. In, sorry? To Chicago, right? Yeah, he has to get home to Chicago in time for Thanksgiving. So he goes through pretty much every hardship imaginable in travel uh, on his way back. Um, so he has a hard time catching a cab. There's a wonderful little cameo by Kevin Bacon yes. who beats him out for a cab. I forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah I know, right? I, I didn't know he was little, in it. It was great. Little cameos in this movie. Yeah. Um, so he has a hard time getting a cab. Uh, John Candy's character steals his cab unknowingly, and that's the first time he meets him. Uh, he manages to make it to the airport barely on time, only to find out his plane's been severely delayed by inclement weather, as is usual for um, the LaGuardia. holiday seasons <laughs> and yeah. for LaGuardia. Um, and then once the plane finally takes off, so he, and he meets with John Candy's character <laughs> in the airport terminal because he recognizes him because he looks kind of distinctive. Um, on the plane, he get he gets booted out of first class for some reason, even though he paid for a first-class ticket. He got bumped. Yeah, he got bumped, and he ends up sitting next to John Candy's character, who he finds very annoying because he's, like, more of an uptight, like, kind of guy, and John Candy's character is very talkative. Um, and then uh, the plane gets rerouted to Wichita, Kansas, because the snow doesn't allow them to land in Chicago. He ends up having to team up with John, the John Candy character to find a hotel room to stay in for the night, uh, they are not good sleep partners at all, so he has trouble <laughs> with that. Then they try to find a train out of town. Well, they it, get robbed, too. They, yeah, get, they, get, they robbed. get robbed overnight, so they have no money. Um, By the luckiest thief yeah, I know, right? in Wichita. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you get the impression like he goes through all the rooms like every night or something well, yeah, like but that. Yeah, there's Steve Martin carrying around 700 bucks in yeah, cash. In like Jesus. 80s money, right? Okay. So it's like $1,000 yeah. now or yeah. something. Um, yeah, um, then they t try to take a train, and that train breaks down, so they have to walk into town, they take a bus, but that only gets them to St. Louis. Um, he tries to rent a car, but then the car's not there. Um, he almost gets beat up by um, the taxi person. <laughs> he does get beat up by the taxi he person. He does get beat up, yeah, that's true. Um, John Candy's character finds him again, and he's managed to rent a car, so they start driving out in their rental car. The car lights on fire. They drive the wrong way and almost die in an accident. Um, and um, what happens there? They, they, they stay in a night. They stay in a motel for a night. Uh, they keep driving in that broken ass car that's been lit on fire. Yeah, they end up hitching a ride with a semi truck driver. Yeah, I don't remember how they got from the rental car to the semi truck though. I think the. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah. 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 They get pulled over by uh, a police officer who deems the car unsafe to drive and tows them Correctly. back into town. <laughs> yes. It's obviously very unsafe to drive. There's no meters, <coughs> no mirrors or anything. No roof. No roof. Um, <laughs> then they hitch a ride in a refrigerator milk truck um, that finally gets into Chicago. And they're about to part ways uh, and uh, Steve Martin's about to see his family again when he thinks back on their conversations and realizes that maybe John Candy doesn't actually like 
have a home to go to or doesn't mm-hmm. like isn't able to see his wife again. So he, on his hunch, returns back to the station where they parted ways, finds John Candy there alone, <clears throat> and John Candy admits is that that admits that his wife has been dead for eight years. Um, so Steve Martin uh, invites John Candy over to his home for Thanksgiving, uh, and they get to have Thanksgiving together. Yes. It's a, it's and they a, made it barely on time. Very wholesome. Yes, it's a very yeah. wholesome movie. Um, that was a very, very thorough recap of all the <laughs> twists and turns in this yeah. in this movie. I've seen this movie a bunch of times, actually. Like oh, this, yeah. this is one that it's it, very easy to watch. It's on TV relatively frequently. Um, it's easy one to like return to uh, at Thanksgiving because there really aren't any other Thanksgiving movies. <laughs> like yeah. this is the only one I can think of. Um, so I've, I've ended up seeing this movie several times. And it's relevant to any holiday travel you do, because it always gets crazy <laughs> yeah. at the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's 90 minutes long, so you can kind of like sit down with it pretty quickly. Yeah. Have you seen this before, I, I, I'm For sure I've seen it. Okay. But this might have been, might as well have been my first watch, because I did not remember anything about oh. it. Okay, got it. Like, like, I knew the gist of it, but... Yeah, and the gist of it is like the movie, right? Like it's it's really just it's very predictable. So it's Steve good. Martin and John Candy doing their their shtick for ninety minutes, which is totally fine, right? Like those guys are hilarious. It totally works. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about this one? I liked it a lot. Good. Um, it was very funny, very relatable, yeah. uh, especially as someone who has very recently experienced some pretty terrible travel. Yeah, I was wondering if you issues. were going to raise this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that reminded me of this movie and it made me want to see it. Uh, it. So okay. it felt kind of cathartic to watch. Um, the, the characters are great, um, they have a great chemistry on screen, Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't expect how, like, emotional it would get at the end. Yeah. And I, I really like that bit of it. It kind of grounded the entire movie. Uh, it kind of reminds you, you know, why you put up with this kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so that, it was very sweet. Uh, I got really caught up in that. And so, like, you know, I feel like this movie has everything to offer. It's, it's funny, it's entertaining. Uh, and it's emotional. Yeah, yeah, well, and it's like kind of the family movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like in that sense, and, that, and I think that's kind of what people mean when they say family movies. It's like it, you can sit down with a group of people who really have nothing in common other than they happen to have, you know, be related to one another, and like they can all find a a thing mm-hmm. to to get out of it. And like that's what this movie is. It's a broad, it's a broad movie with broad appeal, and like that's fine. Uh, what do you think, Claude Crossman? I, I found this to be a tough watch. Really? I'm actually surprised like both of you. It's an easy movie. Like, it's, it has so little of you. <laughs> I guess I guess John Hughes is just not for it's, me. It's, there's okay. a lot of John Hughes-ness in here. Um, I, I really didn't find this funny really? at all. No. The, the one moment I thought was very funny was when they were driving on the wrong side of the road. That's the, yeah, I agree. That's the funniest And part. John Candy <laughs> briefly turns into the devil. Yes. That was so funny. <laughs> which I, I thought that was... By far the best part of the movie. Oh, the, the, that the, felt like kind of a uh, Wayne's World joke. Yeah. Yes. The yes, bit that got me there is when um, Steve Martin says, how do they know where we're going? Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. say you're going the wrong way. Yeah. Like, how do they know where we're going? That, yeah. That's the joke that, that always gets me. Um, uh, that's I, this is surprising. This feels like just such a universal, like, I, easy movie. I found it very mean. Okay. Like, very mean-spirited humor in the movie. And I was surprised that how much Steve Martin just, like, plays the straight guy in this movie. Because mm-hmm. he's such a great, like, goofy actor. Like, his comedy is, like, in his goofiness and, like, his camp. It's stuff like and, the jerk. And here, yeah. yeah, here he's literally just a jerk. <laughs> um, particularly, like, late in the movie when he's, like, he, like screaming at the uh, um, rental car yeah. lady. I just found that, like, unnecessarily cruel and, and not funny. Um, 
Go so ahead, sorry. I, I don't know. I really, like, I, I paused it, like, 45 minutes in. I was shocked to find that I was 45 minutes in. <laughs> and I, like, poured myself a very stiff drink. I was just like, who boy. 45 <laughs> minutes to go. This is a very challenging watch for me. I, and I think I, the reason, like, the meanness works for me is that the character is being mean is Steve Martin, right? Like, he's the asshole in this movie. Yes. And he's constantly yes. punished for it. Like, it's just, just mm-hmm. one bad thing after another that happens to Steve Martin. And I think that, like, it's easier to laugh at the bad things because it's happening to a bad guy. And I, I, I think that part makes it work for me, right? Because, like, okay. he, he shows up and he, he, like, curses out this innocent, you know, rental car employee. And it, it immediately it, she turns the tables on him. He, did, he fucked up because he didn't have the receipt with him. And he gets screwed for it. And she's in no, not inclined to help him at all, which she almost certainly could. Because he was just a giant asshole to her for no reason. And I, I like that about it. That it's like, oh, you're, if you're going to walk around in the world just being a dick to everybody, like, you're going to get punished for that. <laughs> like, you, bad things will happen to you. Either by the hands of that, directly from that person, or just the universe will, will come back to, to, to crush you. And, like, same thing with that taxi driver, right? Like, he's a dick to the taxi driver, and he gets punched in the head. And then, like, punched in the junk. And... There you go. Immediate consequences for your bad actions. <laughs> and like so I, I think it would be easy for this movie to slip into that like mean spiritedness, but I think it undercuts and punishes the meanness constantly. Like I think that that's really where so much of the humor comes from. Yeah. But if yeah, if that doesn't land, that doesn't land. I I don't know. I just uh, the one John Hughes movie that like I do like I think like Home Alone is like a very I forget that's him. A very good Yeah, I didn't film. realize that. Yeah. Um, and that's, I feel like that's like an eminently watchable film. But mm-hmm. even there, I, there's like a mean-spirited nature to well, Kid it, Kevin McAllister. Yeah, well, it's about but, like <laughs> these two guys just getting physically abused. By this child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that's, yeah, like um, that's the humor. <laughs> so, I don't know. There's just something very cruel about his worldview, I think. And, yeah, well, I yeah. mean, it, it's so centered on like, Upwardly mobile white people in the Midwest, right? Like that's all he knows how to make movies about. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and physical punishment, and physical punishment. Is, like features very heavily into his filmmaking. Right, and if you if he doesn't handle that well, which he doesn't always, certainly. Like if you look at something like yeah. Sixteen Candles, and it's like, oh, okay, that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't work. Um, Remember, but, I didn't like the Breakfast Club either. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of a Breakfast Club than you are, I, 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 and I feel like yeah. he relies less on the the, the physical humor in that movie. Like, it's a, it's a lot chattier, um, which I think he directs dialogue well, um, and that movie works. Like, mm-hmm. again, if you don't want to watch a movie about a bunch of white kids having conversations, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not going to, it's not going to land. Yeah. Um, but if you're okay, if you, if that's the ticket to ride and you buy that ticket, like, I think it works. Sure. Um, and, and same thing with this movie. Like, if the, if the physical comedy of it doesn't land for you, like, okay, then this isn't the movie for you. But if that's the ticket to ride, which it is here, like, he does that well. Um, and it, it works for me. Like I, I find this movie very. I still laughed a lot watching it here. I I like John Candy. I think he's like mm-hmm. good in this movie. And I think he does this like annoying character very well. It's like annoying, charming. Yes. And I think that that's like a really hard yeah needle to thread. And I mm-hmm. think that's part of like the appeal of John Candy. Um. I don't know. It's just like didn't didn't connect for me. <laughs> That's well, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what works yeah. with the John Candy performance here is that th- that performance seems pretty close to John Candy the guy. 
mm-hmm. right? Because like he died young, like like as we know, he died in his forties or something. And his reputation is that he was uh, uh, to the point of extreme ex- extremeness a pleaser. That he just really, really wanted people to like him. Really, really wanted to make people around him happier. And like I think you see some of that in the Del Griffith performance, right? That it, it's yeah. this guy that's just so. It's so much about yeah, so much about the the performer, and also so much about like wanting people to like him and to please the people around him and to be liked. And yeah, that that made me like I read um like a review that Roger Ebert wrote of okay. this movie, but like reminiscing on the movie. So it's like I think he, this he was, did a lot of those. This was written like way later. Yeah, uh, and he talked about how he like met up with John Candy like after this movie was released and like talked with him about how like lonely he felt and how much he wanted to please people and make people happy right mm-hmm. and it, it really framed this character yeah. for me like you know retroactively i guess and made me feel that much more sorry for him because yeah. like you can see how much that must reflect the real life person yeah and, and, and like he and he's the both the comedy of this movie and like the the beating heart of it like he's the moral center of it because um, if, if this movie were if a lesser actor had that role, or if like more of the comedy relied on the Steve Martin having that absurdist humor that he often does have, like I think it's a drastically different movie that kind of doesn't function in the same way. Um, so it's a it's a massive undertaking and and, and a very vulnerable performance mm-hmm. um, for for John Candy, um, and it it really does work for me, and I think that he carries the film. Yeah, one thing I liked is that both of the lead characters, like, neither of them's too much of a caricature. Mm-hmm. Like, they both seem like very believable people while still being funny and interesting characters. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of hard to do. Like, you can imagine meeting either one of them. Yeah. Or in they're, perhaps, like, they're like real people. You have met people like this before. Um, yeah, and or in a way, they're like maybe two sides of yourself. Sure, yeah. And, and, and I think that's the other thing that appeals to me about this movie. And, like, I've come back to it so frequently over many years. Uh, it, it it's not just that the people in it are relatable, but like the situation is relatable. Yeah. Right? I feel like everybody has had a shit, shitty travel situation. And I think that John Hughes speaks to universality very well. Mm-hmm. I think that he that he is a director that when he is doing his best work, he's speaking to something that like everyone has a little bit of insight into, has a little bit of personal experience with. I mean, even if it's not yeah. exactly, you know, in a Chicago suburb or whatever the, the case may be. And like Everybody has had a bad time trying to get home on a holiday or whatever, and like that, that lands for me here. Like I think he captures that feeling. Yeah, yeah. I I think some of the parts that like didn't connect for me was when it was like they're like riffing, and for instance, when they're like getting into bed and they're like trying to go to sleep, mm-hmm. and John Candy's like he's clearing his throat. Oh, really? And then he, like, does something else annoying, and then he does something else annoying, and then he does yep. something else annoying. It's just, like, uh, they're just, like, riffing to, like, find what's the funniest thing he could do, but instead of, like, cutting, they just, like, left it all in. Oh, does, does that I feel like, like the, the accumulation of it is, yeah. is what the joke is, right? That if it's, if it's just one weird noise, that's not it, but it's, like... A series you of You realize that he's still <laughs> doing it, and he's going to continue doing it. And I know, that you, I know you get that. I think they're just, like... Pulling it out, like yeah. I, th- I think with a com- like comedy should be like a little tighter, and it felt like they left a lot of like the riffs and okay. where they could have like found the funny and, and like and, I mean, and that mm-hmm. might be true because this is a a ninety minute movie right like it, yeah. it clocks in pretty lean yes so they mm-hmm. they might have needed another minute or two uh, somewhere in there but th- that said yeah. like that joke worked for me like I thought it I thought that the timing of it was fine um, the other joke that I, in that same sequence that I like is when he's 
when, when they wake up in the morning and they do like the very like 80s thing where <laughs> the gay panic yeah the, the gay panic thing but they like handle it well right because the oh really I, I was like uh, no 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 because I think the reason it works <laughs> is the joke isn't oh wouldn't it be funny if they were gay the joke is they're very uncomfortable that they ended up in this situation and you have that great <laughs> you have that great moment where they hop out of bed and they're like shaking or whatever and Steve Martin says oh yeah you see the Bears game last week? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, like, great team this year. They're going all the way. And it's like this, they immediately like, like have to grasp onto some sort of masculinity to yeah. perform to like prove to themselves and each other that, oh no, I didn't mean it. <laughs> and like, I think that's pointing that, like surprisingly for John Hughes and for 1987, I think that that's pointing that joke in the right direction. That it's like, it's, the joke isn't, oh, it's funny that these guys are curling up next to each other. It's funny that they're this drastically and excessively uncomfortable with that. Um, and like immediately need to perform some demonstration of not being uncomfortable, um, it, like paints a picture of how ridiculous that looks. Right, and I think that uh, I see what you mean. That's a nice uh, a nice turn to, for that for that gag, uh, which is again very standard type of gag. Um, yeah, and theoretically, like you know, no matter the gender, I feel like you'd be uncomfortable wrapped up next to a stranger you just met the night sure. before. You're right, right. Uh, but uh, you, you would be. But then also, like, what is really yeah. going on here is there. It's a gay, no, yeah. It is a gay thing. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, what jokes landed? What, do we have favorites? What, what do we like? Uh, the, the, the one that always works for me is towards the end of the movie when uh, Steve Martin sells his watch. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, oh, I have what, 20 bucks or whatever. And, and this a very good watch. And he hands it over. And, and John Candy approaches him and he's like, well, I have... Two dollars. He's like, do you have a really nice watch? I have a Casio. Yeah. And he like does the little like display <laughs> yeah. thing on his arm. Because he's a salesman. He knows what it, he's doing. Yeah, it's such a dumb joke. And like, but the way that he delivers the line two dollars and then like the little motion with yeah. the watch gets me. Like <laughs> I laugh every single time that I see that. My favorite I, I think I think I laughed hardest at the um the scene where they're between the two trucks that Grossman yeah. mentioned and they have the weird cutaways to like their skeletons, <laughs> their skeletons and skeletons him as the devil. Mm-hmm. Like that caught me off guard. It was yeah. really funny. Yeah, I think that's the best like gag in yeah. the movie. I like the follow-up to that. The, you're going the wrong way. How do they know where we're going? Um, I also like the the aftermath of that when he finds out that they swapped out the wallets. When he swapped out the cards in the in the wallet and he put it back in his, oh, yeah. Steve Martin's wallet when he put it in the glove compartment. He finally feels like he's got one. On <laughs> yeah, you finally guy. did it to yourself, and he's like, "Nope, still got you, still uh, got Steve." You. You still get screwed here. Yeah, um, and like you, you guys commented on this moment earlier, but I actually really like the rental car scene because like that's another you? scene where like you've been there, and I I know exactly how horrible that feels, mm-hmm. and like you know how angry you can get in that kind of situation, especially since you've already been going through like a day, like literally twenty four hours yeah. of disasters. <laughs> yes, like you kind of get to a breaking point at some mm-hmm. point and uh, you know it makes sense for him to hit it there and I think they actually made the movie rated R just for that one scene yes. which I think it, that's really committing it's like, <laughs> yes, pretty it awesome uh, <laughs> yeah another surprise R rating uh, like a working girl the other week um, but yeah because it, 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 it fucks with the audience in such a good way too right because it's like you're totally with Steve Martin when he walks up to her, right? Like, you understand how frustrated he is. You're feeling that frustration. It's very satisfying and funny to have him just, like, 
deliver this and like chew on every single f word that yeah. he, that he has there. And then because we felt it, we've yeah, been there. Yeah, and because you see him like fall in that river and walk three miles back from the parking lot and da da da. And then the habit just like immediately flip on him. <laughs> it's yeah, which this. you also expect <laughs> yes, because it'll awesome. never work out for you. So good, yeah, it's so good. Uh, so that I, it it did it did land for me. Um, I think that that Hughes uh, handled that uh, appropriately. Yeah. Not buying it. He looks skeptical. No, I, yeah. I mean, it just was like, it just felt like he was just being mean to a service person. And I know that. He like, was being mean to a service know, person. And, 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 yeah. and I know that, like, comes back to, like, bite him, but it's yeah. still, like, that, like, didn't feel funny to me. Okay. It just I, felt I, mean. Yeah, and and, and yeah. Th- that is fair. In the same way, like, there's a couple of moments where it feels like he was just kind of, like, doing some, like, class punch downs. Um, one yes. being the, like, uh, sort of, uh, kind of like backwoods like family that they meet at the beginning yeah uh specifically the guy that comes to pick him up in the truck yeah and they're like oh isn't it funny that this guy is like so poor like poor and like (laughs) back backwards yes i agree that that one didn't land that one that one i I feel is is somewhat hughes's bad instincts yeah Um, so yeah Mm -hmm. that that one is a sneaker but they also cut it the other way where when they're on the bus um and they're all saying like uh Dell Griffith, the John Candy character. That I found funny. Yeah, that works. So yeah, like he's, I think that's he's a good joke. Leading everybody in song, and then he asks if anybody else has anything that they want to sing, and like Steve Martin reaches out for like the first time in the movie to try to socialize, like without being explicitly prompted, and he starts singing Three Coins in a Fountain. Is, is that a song? I've never heard of that. Yeah, it is. Like it's it's from like a, a, a classic movie. Like it it's okay. it is like relatively known, but it's. You'd have to be an idiot to try to sing that song in that context with yeah. with these people, and I like that it makes his like, you know, snobbish bullshit like look ridiculous mm-hmm. and like make him look ridiculous in attempting to exhibit it, um, and then that he kicks in with the Flintstones yeah, theme song. Yeah, right Candy after saves that. it with the Flintstones <laughs> the theme, Flintstones. which is such a corny ass song. It's such, but, it's such a dumb song. Yeah, um, and then you get a great. But everyone uh, knows it. You get a great Wilma from uh, from John Candy at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that joke really worked for me, and I think again it was targeted well. Like it was it was at Steve Martin, and I think that Steve Martin is the butt of the joke a lot of the times in, yeah. in this in this movie, um, and. I think he does that well. I think he plays that role well. Even there, though, there were elements of like, "Hey, aren't all the people that travel on a bus annoying?" Right. Which to me was like, yeah, like and like poor people travel on buses. <laughs> sure, like, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. I don't know. Like his his class politics are so like upper middle class suburban. <laughs> they are, um, and or, his tastes are like very there. Yeah, like yeah. he. he, he he, like John Hughes has his perspective. Yes. Right. And like his perspective sure. is narrow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is exclusively his perspective. But the interesting thing about him, and I think, because he has, he also has staying power. Right. Like Breakfast Club is a movie that cost fifty dollars to make, and he made it, you know, thirty years ago, and it still speaks to people today. It still speaks to teenagers today. I, I think Home Alone holds holds up like Home Alone well. just yep. as well. This movie, like people still watch planes, trains, and automobiles yep. every Thanksgiving. And like, so there is some. He has this very peculiar thing where his perspective is very personal and narrow, but he like opens that world up enough to other people that they can see themselves in this very narrow Hughesian world. And 
that is fraught. <laughs> like there are problems with that, and you've pointed to a lot of them, and you're right. Um, but there's also obviously value in that because like so many people have found these movies so resonant for so long, um, and it, it's tough for me to just say, yeah, check that out. Um, I think. He's, he's also a coward, and I'll tell you why. Okay, I believe it. <laughs> John Hughes is a coward because he's written the Beethoven movies. <laughs> uh, There's a lot of those. And he wrote like all the, of them. the dog? <laughs> yes. Yeah, he, he wrote all of them. Um, but he wrote them under a pen name. Really? <laughs> he wrote oh. them under the pen name Edmund Dantes. That's a hell of which, a pen name. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's the name of the Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, the County Monte Cristo is like his pseudonym that he goes under is Edmund Dantes. Got it. Um, Cute. And he is a coward. <laughs> yeah. Those are garbage children movies, and I, <laughs> I know that he like did that for money, of he but did. then didn't put his own <laughs> name. Put your on damn it. name on it. You yes, man. God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and he. I mean, if we're gonna, you know, punch up or, or punch down on on John Hughes, wherever the direction may be. Um, he has a his early career is very dubious when he was writing for uh, like the National Lampoon folks and just a, like a lot of very explicitly violently sexist articles and pieces and, and hmm. jokes for for his uh, for that publication. Um, there was a I think it was in the New Yorker. I want to say that Molly Ringwald wrote a piece a couple years ago about showing. Breakfast Club to her daughter for the first time because now Molly okay. Ringwald is obviously an adult and she has children of her own, um, and she so she, she writes about like going back and watching Breakfast Club for the first time in a while, mm-hmm. and like seeing now like there's a lot of sexist jokes in this and like her treatment, uh, the character her character's treatment in that movie wasn't real great all the time, mm-hmm. and how that she now she's looking back on some of the behavior of John Hughes and some of her her co stars on the set of that movie and like has some questions. She doesn't make any explicit accusations, and I don't think there are any, but mm-hmm. she is identifying some troubling uh, gender politics mm-hmm. in Breakfast Club, which are certainly there. Um, and she is, like, grappling with showing this movie to her daughter now that she appeared in and participated in. It was a really fascinating piece, um, and it was a, a really um, uncommon and thoughtful insight into mm-hmm. an older creative process and, like, looking back on on your old work with maturity and with a, a, when you're at a different stage in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it was, came out a couple of years ago, but I keep returning to it and, and thinking about it again. Um, and so, yeah, John Hughes' hands are far from clean. And I think that his stars have realized that, and I think his audiences have realized that. But on the other hand, we do keep watching these movies. He also wrote, like, all the vacation films. Yeah, National Lampoon. He, that's where he wrote all yeah. those, those garbage articles. <laughs> Like, really bad stuff. Like, it's un- unpleasant. Yeah. And the the, the vacation films are, like, Chevy Chase is, like, the hero. And, like, anytime <laughs> that's the case, you're like, mm-hmm. no, oh, yeah. He's, a- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. <laughs> he's actually a terrible person. And, yeah. Right. Just, like, unpleasant. I can't imagine those films hold up. Have you seen, I've, I've seen some portion of them. I feel like I've seen scenes on TV, but I don't think I've sat down and, like, I, I know that I've the seen them, but... I, I couldn't tell you a thing about it, other than like Chevy Chase is in it. What I remember about the yeah. first one, um, the, uh, which is Vacation, the premise is that they're like on a road trip, like the family is on a road trip. To, go- to Vegas, right? No, no, that to was Vegas Vacation. Wally oh, World. Okay. <laughs> to, to Wally World. Oh, okay. And my memory of it, again, having not seen these movies in like 
literally probably 10 or 15 years, is that they finally get to Wally World and it's like closed or something. Yeah, I, I think it's closed when they get there. It's when they get there and, it, and Chevy Chase ends up like violently threatening a worker there to like take his family on all the rides. So he's essentially like forcing this guy at gunpoint to like go through <laughs> and do his job at Wally World while the place is closed. <laughs> and I don't recall how it resolves that issue, but that happens, I believe. Um, and John Hughes wrote that. So, I, yeah, he, like, he, he had a troubling early career and, you know, was troubled, I think, throughout mm. his, his filmmaking career in various degrees. Yeah, I was also seeing, uh, what was the other one? Ferris Bueller, obviously. Yeah, um, another one. That, like, and, <laughs> and Weird Science, which is like, Yo, God. How do we People, have? Ooh. How do we bang a computer? Is like yeah. the major thrust of that movie. <laughs> or more, how do we remove any volition and personality and will from a woman? Yeah. It's what that, that movie is really about. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is how you turn her into a computer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, how, <laughs> returning to <laughs> returning to planes, uh, trains, planes, trains, and automobiles. Um, what do we think about like the very end of this movie? Because the very end of this movie always struck me as struck me as really fucking weird. Because you really? have, yes, like the very, very end. Because you have the John Candy character come into um, Steve Martin's home, Neil's home, and he like introduces him to his family, and it's like, this is my son, this is my father-in-law, this is my other kid. And then the wife comes downstairs, yeah. and like John Candy and her exchange this like weird, meaningful look, as though like they know each other. And he says, like, oh, uh, hello, Mrs. Page, hello, Mr. Mr. Griffith, and they like have this peculiar moment mm -hmm. and it's I, I, I've never known what to do with that because that actually didn't stand out for me compared to just like <laughs> the rest of the moment so I just didn't think anything about oh that. I remember when I, I remember very clearly when I first saw this I was like what the hell is going on there like yeah. do, do these people know each other for some reason and it seemed like such a peculiar choice yeah and there's there's this like D plot where like Steve Martin's like marriage is on the rocks yeah uh, or it's like implied that the like things are not going well. Yeah, because she's like looking at the the clock or like lying in bed sad and like that. And that's like never resolved. Right. They just like show up and they're like, "I'm here." Yeah. I, so I didn't sad. interpret yeah. it as his marriage was in trouble. It was just that he wasn't home for Thanksgiving and his family loves him and they want him there. That's mm -hmm. all I saw. No. Um, well, you have like, early in the movie. They actually say it like explicitly. Did uh, they? Okay. Yeah, because John Candy's character is like. Oh, is there like trouble? Trouble on the home front. Trouble on the home front, and he's like, he was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. They they don't like go very deep into yeah. it, but he like acknowledges you have, that you have that very short sequence with yeah. his daughter's um, Thanksgiving pageant, and she's like, I'm thankful that my dad's gonna be home for Thanksgiving. And it's yeah, implying that he usually isn't home, um, and I think okay. it, again, it's like buried in there. Like this mm -hmm. isn't something that that John Hughes is particularly interested in. Um, but it does seem to be like playing into this 80s trope about like all marriages are in trouble. <laughs> like mm -hmm. there just weren't happy marriages during this decade. Um, and I think that it, it, it feels almost like reflexive. It's like if you're if it's 1987 and you're writing about a marriage, of course it has a problem, right? Like sure. you can't just have a marriage or have a happy have a happy couple. And that's how I read it because they're just so disinterested in that character and that barely introduced plotline. Um, so it's really just the, the John Candy. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like the like the John Hughes world is you, like your dad has like some like high level executive job 
And that's all he cares about. Not like a CEO, but like a, like a high <laughs> middle manager. Yep. You have a really nice house. You live in the suburb of Chicago. And you like you do all the holiday stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you're always engaged in holidays. Mom doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and you just have this like enormous suburban house. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which I guess like in the 80s is like very like tangible to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, Not just tangible, but de- desirable. Yeah. Right. Like I, I think that we have, like, perhaps just millennials in general, have moved to a point where not only is that just a pipe dream, but also now, it just seems impossible. It's, like, it, it yeah. seems <laughs> impossible, but also like absurd. Like, why would you want that? What would you do with a house that size? What are you going to do with two cars? Right. Like, what? Why? Do you, like that. That kind of thing. Like, what job could you possibly be working that's this important if you're making that much money. Yeah. Right? Like, that you can't take some more time off. Right? So, I, I, and I think that that is part of the foreignness of this. Not just that it's unattainable, but also that it's ridiculous. Yeah. And his characters also just seem, like, very unhappy. Like... Yes. Their their jobs seem cruel and unrelentingly cruel. And, and useless. They're right? very, like, like... Meaningless jobs. They're very, like, distant from their families. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the his films are, like, about family strife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just the sort of like implosion of like the American family unit, but offer no solution to that. No. Um, other than like, you need to be together. Yeah, the, like proximity is the, the most important yeah. thing. Um, and that helps. It, yeah. Which it, it, it does, I guess, but it's also certainly not sufficient. Like, you yeah, need well, more it's usually a message of like, you know, focus less on your meaningless job and more on the people that love you. Right, but it. Yes, I, I think that is like exactly what he's, he's trying to get at here. Yeah. But it's also like, you also need this big house, and you also need these two cars, and you also need the, the, the job. And it's kind of, it, it doesn't do anything to resolve those things, right? Or mm-hmm. if it does, it, it, he seems to be suggesting that it's just a choice that you have to make, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I will choose to no longer work anymore. And the consequence of that is only, I will get more time with my family, not something may happen at the job that's bad, right? And, yeah. you know, professionally. And, yeah, that just seems unthoughtful. Yeah, there's, like, no language and interpretation as to, like, how to stop what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, make it any better. Right, right. So, yeah. and, and... And he goes through a lot of iterations of mm-hmm. this. Like, Home Alone, this. Um, even, even Beethoven is about, like... <laughs> How do you like solve your familial problems? And there, the answer is you buy a giant dog, and like all these like hijinks happen. Yes, um, I like that the joke in that movie, as far because I think I've seen one of them or two yeah. of them. It, it's just like, what if there was a dog only it was a little bigger? Yeah, like, that's the whole. That's it. It's just a really, really big dog. It's, yeah, it's, no, it's not. It's not a really big dog. It's just a kind of big dog. Okay, <laughs> it's a Saint Bernard, which are one of the like it's larger big. dog breeds. But it's not like a weird Saint yeah. Bernard. It's just this okay. is how big this dog is. It's, okay. it's basically Marmaduke. Like yes. the whole movie is Marmaduke. Where, <laughs> like well, that's the joke, and it yeah. just exclusively relies on like a big dog being funny, and that's the movie. That's the whole thing. And also that the, his name is Beethoven. That's like okay. a very important like <laughs> to the comedy of the movie yeah but you're right even yeah. in that movie again my recollection having seen this when i was a child yeah it's like it is some executive dad that like it's... doesn't have time for everything and like the dog... solution to get a dog yeah and yeah. like the dog makes him look silly sometimes and it's like okay because it's so big because it's so big <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like rambunctious you can't control it yeah because it's too big yeah yeah and that's <laughs> that's the whole thing it's like what about a dog only bigger 
<laughs> but yeah, there's like there's no way to explain like, hey, isn't this like really fucked up? And yes. like, can we like step off this like hamster wheel? Uh, yeah. And there's like no good solution. Yeah, because like, I find that very frustrating. About what if the thing that like yeah. okay, let's let's do a little rewrite of. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Okay. What if at the end of this, rather than... The what if it was funny? Yeah. <laughs> what, what if, <laughs> instead of the reveal that John Candy's wife is dead, right? What if the reveal is that he does sincerely love his wife? And I think that you see that in the text of this movie. Yes. Um, and in the performance, right? Like from John Candy. But she's still alive and she has filed for divorce. And the reason that mm -hmm. she's filed for divorce is because he's on the road all the time. And that he doesn't have any time to to spend at home, but he feels that he won't be able to provide for her if he's not traveling constantly. And that, you know, Steve Martin finds himself in a similar position because we actually develop the failing family plot line that is barely mm -hmm. introduced in this movie. And, like, they come together to, like, realize that, oh, maybe we need to be doing something fundamentally different with our lives. Maybe we need to make some fundamental alteration so that what makes us sure. happy, which is our wife, our kids... And, and these people that are close to us, maybe we give up some of the things, some of this giant house, some of the, the, the second car, in order to really get at what I think John Hughes claims to care about, which is the people that are closer to him. Mm -hmm. And so rather than the twist being like a, a, a refrigerated woman, the, the twist is like, oh, I need to reject accumulation. I, I need mm -hmm. to, re to reject acquiring more things. Um, and... That's what brings them together, right? Well, what if that's the thing? I think that's a better movie. I think that's a more meaningful movie. Um, and I like the, I like playing Staring and Automobiles. I think this movie mm -hmm. is good. I think I obviously think it's funnier than you think it is. <laughs> and um, and I think the ending basically does work. And I, I, yeah. I but I think that it could work better. And I think it could more clearly uh, define or more clearly articulate what it is. That I think John Hughes is really striving for, mm -hmm. perhaps even personally, if not artistically. Um, and and he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Yeah. Which is which is a shame. I thought it was really poignant when they got home to see like how happy his wife was to see him. Yeah, and yeah. that like hit me pretty hard, right? Because he's been toiling through all this this entire movie, um, mm -hmm. just going through all these horrible ordeals and all that, right? And it's like, why are you why are you putting up with all this? Well, it's because you love your family and you're happy to see them in the end, right? Right. And that that kind of framed everything for me in that hit me pretty hard in the moment. Right, I thought but, that was really sweet. And it was, it was also very tough to frame that and like contrast it with John Candy's character who has lost his wife and obviously can't, you know, have that, you know, reunion experience after all these travel ordeals. And it's kind of sad to see him. Yeah, there. no, I think it works too. Yeah, but so, it's also heartwarming that he's been welcomed in. Yeah. So I agree. But then why not go... One more step. The next logical step is to be like... Let's avoid this hey, situation. This is like, next yeah, year. this job is like ruining my life and separating me from my family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Therefore, find something different to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe it means like we don't have this excessively giant house, right? Yeah. But maybe that's okay. And maybe it's worth it. And I, I think there are like there's a number of pieces of media that like do that. Sure. Like a lot more recent. Um, the one that comes to mind is um, did you guys watch Weeds? Yes. Like no. the early seasons of Weeds are the kind good, of like about seasons? yeah yeah the good seasons of Weed are, are like about about that where it's yeah. like we're like we need to like do something because we're in trouble mm -hmm. so like let's do crime yeah and then uh, and yeah. then it's funny and it's about like crime hijinks and how like suburban people trying to do crime is right or, yeah. or um, office space yeah okay. like I think yeah. office space hits on this point where it's like oh we hate our jobs and the solution isn't to just like 
magically have a situation where we just work less and nothing else changes. Yeah. It's to like really fundamentally undermine the concept of having this job. Yeah. And that, uh, and, and like it doesn't exactly hit that mark, but it gets close ish. And, you know, I think Hughes like had the space here to do that. And I, I don't think that he is consciously saying, no, I'm not making that choice. I think it, the choice, it's sadder. I think the choice doesn't occur to him. Mm-hmm. I think that he just really can't well, conceive of a world where you don't have this big house and this kind of stressful job. Well, that's why, like, all the, like, Gen X people that grew up on his movie is, like, the one thing that, like, Gen X is marked by is this kind of, like, nihilism yeah. around work where it's, like, well, I hate my life, but I guess I'll just... What, other, what else I'll, can I do? Yeah, I'll just work. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. that. Um, uh, and, and then, like, they were also, like, very, like, when you're young, like, and this is, like, smoothing over a lot of things but like the the general thrust of like gen x is like you're kind of like a rebel when you're young and then you just like step into the executive yes office and then you just like work a job that you hate for the rest of your life and then you die yeah yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's kind of like the thrust of that like generation mm-hmm. and i i feel like john i think john hughes is like really defines that mm-hmm. generation with breakfast club and home alone and um Right, but all it, these things, because he just has like no conception for like what to do about. Right, it. but but the tragedy, total nihilism. Yeah, the tragedy yeah. of it is that he does have a conception of the the harm it does. Yeah, like all he understands is the harm, but he doesn't understand the causes of it, and mm-hmm. he doesn't understand, and he can't understand anything outside of well it, the, the that world. The causes are all like external yes right where it's just like the sort of like karmic nature of the universe has like fallen on you very hard yeah and then this is true like in all his movies but particularly this one where it's like yeah you're like a little bit of a jerk and it just like snowballed and like the universe kind of just like fell on you really hard (laughs) yeah and there's like there's no like hey like let's stop and think about like what's going on and Mm -hmm. like try and think through this yeah it's just like, no, nah, I'm just going to keep like hammering it and make it worse and you, worse and worse. You have it. to be a marketing executive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's it. And that's the thrust of this movie, too, where it's like, let's just think about what's happening. And we can, like, we definitely work through this. Mm-hmm. No, let's just like make the worst series of decisions possible and just keep like digging a keep, hole. Keep, keep making those keep, decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I agree. And again, yeah. I, I, I still like the movie. I still, think it, I still think it's good. I think the ending sequence is affecting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the John Candy's performance is so strong here. I think he, he's mm-hmm. very good, and I think it becomes very personal. Um, but it, it's an, uh, another example where it's like John Hughes getting close, but not taking that next step. And not a lot mm-hmm. of not a lot of writers and directors do. Like this is not a problem exclusive to him. A lot of guys can't make that next step. A lot of guys can't make the first step. It's it's generational. Like it's a yeah. generational problem. He's he's just Whereas, looms large because he made so many movies and like yeah. made them well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I agree. Cool. Home Alone's good though. I, I, Home like, Alone. <laughs> I like Home Alone a lot. Okay, super. I haven't seen it in a while. Maybe I should. It holds up very well. Yeah, how's the sequel hold up? Uh, with our starring our president. Oh God, you're right. Starring, <laughs> yeah. Uh, cameoing our president. Yeah. Well, no, it's like an advertisement for his hotels. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I forgot about that actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you? I remember them being relatively similar. Okay. Yeah, yeah, of they just—it's yeah. all the same cast, same hijinks. <laughs> Did you see that? Um, Plus our president. That tweet that was floating around this week, where it's like some guy was talking about how he was in an airport, I think, like back around the time yes. Home Alone came out, yes. and he's like spots Joe Pesci in the airport, and he's like, "Oh yeah, hey, <laughs> you're Joe Pesci. I remember you from." Home Alone or whatever, and jo- and Pesci says, "Oh yeah, kid, who's your favorite actor?" And the guy says, "You are." And Joe Pesci whips out a crisp hundred dollar bill and yeah. says, "Right answer, kid," and gives it to him. That's the best story. <laughs> Which is very funny. <laughs> like, you can totally imagine Pesci doing that. 
Seems very in character. Very in character. Yeah. Yes. Uh, any uh, any closing thoughts on uh, planes, trains, and automobiles? Just you know, I mean, it, it obviously, if if you like the sense of humor in it, uh, I think it's a very easy to enjoy movie. Yeah, for me, this is this is a, a kind of a cotton candy movie um, in that like it's it's easy to take it in, it's easy, easy to come in and out of. I mm-hmm. I enjoy it. Um, I think the critiques of Hughes are you know crystallized here in a lot of ways, um, but it, like we we were aware of all that stuff um, already, so it, it still lands for me. Um, I think it showcases John Candy's talents. Yes. I think it unfortunately doesn't showcase Steve Martin's talents. Um, Not all of them. Yeah. Well, I forgot to mention, I do feel like Steve Martin's character <laughs> reminded me a lot of Harrison Ford. Okay. Sure. Something no, about I his mannerisms yeah. and the way his face, like, mm-hmm. I guess, contorted when he was, like, under duress reminded me a lot of Harrison Ford. Well, and the, just the curmudgeonliness of him. Yeah. <laughs> it's very... Yeah, he like, you hate everybody. Actual Harrison yeah, Ford. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I so. hear that. And he, well, I mean, speaking of not using his talents, he, does, he doesn't play the banjo once in this movie. Like, what a waste. <laughs> <laughs> right? Just totally, totally squandered that. Um, anyway, we'll be back in a moment with, uh, with Things We've Seen. Stay tuned. All right, and welcome back to Things We've Seen. This is a section where we talk about films we've seen recently, usually in theaters. Uh, who would like to go first? Oh, I'll go. Charles. Uh, all right. So I saw Last Christmas. Uh, and um, so I went into this because, like, you know, Henry Golding stars in it. And I feel like I need to support movies that feature um, Asian males as romantic leads because they're so rare. Yes. Um, so he probably got noticed after Crazy Rich Asians um, and stars in this one. Or A Simple Favor. Or a simple favorite. I've not seen that one actually. It's, I should see it. It's great, and he's in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I went in this expecting like I'm not a big fan of rom coms usually, um, so I wasn't sure how much I would really like this one. But I heard some interesting buzz about it. I heard this is a movie that has a twist, and so I thought, okay, that could be fun. Uh, and I was weirded out by how much I enjoyed the movie because like all <laughs> things considered, <laughs> well, like all things considered, it's probably not actually a good movie. Right, like you know, it's kind of cheesy. It's mm-hmm. what you expect out of like a Christmas themed rom com, but like I still kind of buy the characters and the plot. So I think we're safe to spoil it at this point. I already um, read the thing. The, yeah, the the movie's probably I already. I like, even heard of this film. This oh, is yeah. the one with Henry Golding and Amelia Clark. It's been on a lot of posters, like in the subway. Okay, yeah. well, it's a Christmas themed rom com set in like London. Okay. Uh, and Amelia Clark is kind of a down-on-her-luck woman um, who's, like, trying to get by working at, like, a Christmas shop. Uh, Michelle Yao owns the Christmas shop, and she's pretty badass as normal. Does she? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and she randomly runs into the Henry Golding character, and uh, they, like, go out on a few dates, but he's kind of mysterious and aloof, um, and they kind of fall for each other. Um, but then it turns out that... Um, so, like, a year before this movie happened, um, Emilia Clarke's character had had a heart transplant. And it turns out that that same night, the Henry Golding character had died in a biking accident <laughs> and was the donor for her heart. Um, so, the entire time she's, like, going out with this guy, he's actually just kind of, like, a figment of her imagination um, that's, like, the spirit of her new heart or something like that. 
but she has used um, like Henry Golding's image to inspire her <laughs> to become a better person. Sure. Uh, which I found to be like weirdly endearing and wholesome. Like there's just like multiple moments where you see her gradually improve as a person. Cause at the beginning, she kind of doesn't care about the people around her. She's kind of mean to her family. She tries to erase her heritage as um, a Yugoslavian descendant person. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, she like yeah. tries to. Wait, this is set in London. This is yes. set in London. Her family had English escaped. racism is weird. Yes. So. Her family had escaped <laughs> from Yugoslavia, and she like tries to change her name to hide her heritage, and she's like kind of ashamed of it. But over the course of the movie, you see her embrace that and like come to, um, like you know, treat her family well, treat the people around her well. She starts to, uh, like volunteer for the homeless shelter, uh, where she thought that Henry Golding's character was working for. Okay. Um, but, like, he's been dead. Um, and so, like, I think it's just generally, like, pretty wholesome because, uh, like, she, like, improves as a person and, um, like, kind of, you know, doesn't squander the sacrifice that Henry Golding's character made to allow her to live. Um, there's some sweet, like, kind of cheesy romantic lines between the two after she finds out that he's sure. been dead the whole time. And, like, they're really cheesy, but I still bought into it, and I couldn't yeah. help it. It was really sweet. Um, and, yeah, it was pretty nice. There was, there was a, there was like, a kind of weird moment on the bus where, like, an English dude's, like, super racist at a bunch of people on the bus. And, and like, she, like, goes forward to try to, like, comfort the people after he gets kicked off the bus. And that was kind of sweet. Um, Sounds like a quietly anti-Brexit movie. This yeah, like, yeah, oh, they they yeah. they it's a live dead movie. <laughs> they they yeah. meant I think they like have some brief implications about that basically. Yeah. So I I heard about this movie and what I heard about it was that there was a weird twist and yeah. I, and I said, "Okay, like I'm never going to watch this." So I yeah. just googled what the twist was. And when I read what it was, the first thing I thought of was that's exactly how Vice ends. Oh yeah. Um so Vice is the Dick Cheney movie and what happens in that movie is that it's there's a voiceover that's like with exposition the entire movie and at the re at the end it's revealed that the voiceover is the Iraq war vet that ended up dying when he was hit by a car and his heart was given to Cheney when oh, he wow. had his heart attack. Wait, did that actually happen? Yes. Fuck. <laughs> yes. And like that's so I, so I read this and I was like oh that's literally just Vice. Like that's wow. like a nicer version. I didn't know about that. Of the thing but that happened. What was Vice. really funny is after this revelation they hold like a Christmas themed concert with like the homeless shelter to mm -hmm. like raise money. And she starts singing, because this whole movie is punctuated by George Michael hits, because, you know, you see the title, Last Christmas. There's sure. lots of yeah. George Michael songs throughout, because she's a big fan. Uh, so it's almost like a jukebox musical. They don't stop and <laughs> sing, but they play the music. Right. Um, but then she starts singing Last Christmas, yeah. and she says, Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. And, yeah, okay. and, like, I didn't think about the song before getting into this movie. I didn't know what yeah. the twist was, because I tried to avoid it on purpose. And I just thought it was so funny when she started singing it. Like, I could right hear up. other people in the audience, like, chuckling when they realized yeah. that it was right in your face the whole time. So right on the nose. That's hilarious. It was really funny. You could tell that they started with that, with the like, song. what if we made a movie out of this? And built a movie around <laughs> yeah. it. And that made it so much funnier. That's so goofy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, despite all that, I still I still like the movie. Okay. Well, I couldn't help but well, like great. it. great. I, I do yeah. like Henry Golding. I yeah. think Amelia Clark is really, based on Game of Thrones, not a particularly great actor. I like I liked her character in this one. I think she fits that role okay. well. Good. Um, so I, she I seems nice. An effective so casting. Like, I want nice things for her. But uh, right, man, she... I've only seen her in bad roles because I've only seen her in like 
fucking Terminator Genesis. Yeah. I haven't seen Game of Thrones, but I saw her in like the Terminator movie, and like it was really bad. Um, but she was effectively casted here, um, and like yeah. is a very endearing character Hen- as well. Hen- Henry Golding was my deep cut fan cast for Batman. Oh yeah, I think he should have been. I think he should have. That'd been be there. sweet. He'd <laughs> be great. Yeah, he's awesome. He, he looks like Batman. He'd be great. Did, have yeah. you Have you all heard of the Eye? No, it's the what? It's a 2008 Jessica Alba movie. Okay, and she's a like partially partially blind woman, and she gets a cornea transplant. Uh oh. And the cornea Gosh. transplants allow her to see ghosts. I've seen I've seen <laughs> yeah. trailers for this. It's, it's a remake of a J horror film, but it's like terrible because. A lot of reasons. Oh, that's yeah. That's because of all the stuff you just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Particularly Jessica Alba yeah. being involved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. I haven't seen it, but it makes. You're, it but you're aware of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I saw a movie too. Um, speaking of uh, Dick Cheney, I saw the report. <laughs> um, that's the movie about the um, CIA torture report. Oh, this um, is the Adam Driver. The Adam Driver one. So uh, it starts. He's in a lot of things. This he's a fall. busy guy. Yeah. Busy guy, Adam Driver. Um, so Adam Driver plays Daniel Jones, um, who is now the quarterback for the uh, New York That Giants. also confused me. <laughs> yeah, but is in fact the uh, employee of the. It's Senate. only the most generic name possible. It really so. is. Um, so he gets he gets recruited by um, the senator Diane Feinstein, who would later go on to harangue children for caring about the planet dying. Mm-hmm. Um, to big in, Confederate flag fan Diane Feinstein. Yeah, that that very same yeah. one, um, played by Annette Bening. Um, here, he uh, recruits uh, Daniel Jones to investigate the CIA when they uh, first reveal evidence or discover evidence of the torture program at, at Guantanamo and other places. Um, it's a procedural, basically. Like, so, and as a procedural, it is uh, impeccable. It, it works very, very well. Like, this is basically a movie about a guy in a room reading reports, um, and like they manage to make that interesting. So the, oh. way, the way it's structured is you will have... Uh, it, it's told in a lot of flashbacks. So you'll have flashbacks of like the two uh, private contractors or whatever it is that uh, eventually pitched the idea of interrogation of this of torture interrogation to the CIA. The CIA just immediately buying it and like going all in on this. Um, the actual torture being told, being conducted, um, it, and that is juxtaposed with the Adam Driver character discovering the evidence of of this torture, the failure of this torture to actually uh, find any actionable intelligence um and it, it it plays out like that with it, similar to you know all the president's man and things like that where it's just like one piece of evidence lead to the next da, 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 da. um so in in that respect it works pretty well in another respect this movie is basically jack ryan for liberals um it's, <laughs> uh he correctly the, the movie correctly indicts the cia for participating in torture which is not really a tough case to make like of course mm-hmm. torture is bad um, and it concludes with like the you know pair the couple sentences on the screen at the end as he's walking away from the Lincoln Memorial or whatever it was. It's like no CIA employee was ever punished or lost their job because of the torture uh, regime, which is true. What it fails to do is place this in any context which suggests that this is anything other than totally normal business for the CIA, mm-hmm. right? Like the movie treats this as an abnormality. It, it treats this as something that is a deviation from the normal course of business of, of the Central Intelligence Agency and the, and the American government, which is of course entirely false. This is exactly what the kind of thing that the CIA participates There's in all the time. Multiple films about that. Too. Yes, of course there are. This, yeah. reams of, this is not a secret. <laughs> the comedic version being uh, The Men Who Stare at Goats. Yeah, which I heard was not good, but is it good? Um, I remember 
I like I, funny I, I can't say it's great. Okay. Uh, but it it kind of talks <laughs> it's a fictionalized version of kind of like where all the tortured stuff came sure. from. Like there's a guy, like a philosopher or um just like an oddball writer who like came up with all the ideas of how we could like fight war in, in different ways, right. like in nonviolent ways. And then the CIA like took that and like twisted it and made it all like all this like really cruel and like that led to like a lot of the right torture i, I, I mean and this this movie takes a much yeah. harsher stance on the, yeah. the guys that pitched the torture idea because the, the the idea that this movie advances and i think is basically accurate is that these guys were basically up to no good from the get-go they were snake oil salesmen like they knew mm-hmm. that this was uh, bullshit and we're just looking to make a quick buck and i think that is no that, that's all true there's a yeah. weird connection to like the hippie flower generation philosophy sure. though that the men who stare at goats like goes into right when this is yeah. distinct from that the yeah. other problem with this movie yeah. in the similar vein is like the earlier problem what this what the the screenwriter and the the director here seem to be doing is casting the cia against the fbi because what they what they say what they show at the beginning of the movie is an FBI agent using non-torture techniques to interrogate a uh, suspected uh, terrorist and gaining actionable intelligence from that and that pre- preventing some sort of bad thing, and that what should be happening what the, what the CIA should be engaging in is called rapport building and that's what the FBI does and the FBI are the good guys you should be behaving more like the FBI and not like the CIA who's engaging in torture. Obvious bullshit. The FBI is horrible, right? They they, they yeah. assassinate people all the time. They mostly entrap teenagers, right? They they entrap yeah. teenagers. They and, and like mentally ill murder people. Fred Hampton. Yeah. They, they like they're they're the COINTELPRO. Like that. This is the the this the CIA and the FBI are working hand in hand throughout American history to oppress leftist regimes, to murder minorities, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Like they, this is not an oppositional relationship between these two organizations. Um, and I think what this movie is advancing is, unfortunately, the comforting liberal idea that once we correct this one aberration in the CIA's practice, things will return to some sort of better previous normal and that we can continue with, with the things as they were. Um, and that is, that, that's simply false. That, that, that's not how the world works. And, it, and it's a shame because this movie is well made. It really mm-hmm. is. It, it functions as cinema. It, 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 Adam Driver is very good in it. When he's like really gets into his stride explaining why the CIA is lying and how they're lying and why they're wrong, it works really well and it's compelling. Uh, Annette Benning kind of does find a little bit of nuance in this Diane Feinstein character and that she is correctly troubled and kind of the only one troubled by this, the, the torture reports, but also it has to be aware of the political implications and kind of pulls back. Um, and and the Daniel Jones character has to has to push her to, to advance it. Like this this stuff works really well, mm-hmm. and like the procedural aspect of it works really well. It's very unfortunate that they can't take that next step and say like this is not something strange. This is one example of an entire and complete history of CIA torture, misinformation, regime obstruction, leftist obstruction over and over and over again. It, it was, it, this is, for me, because I, I was looking forward to this movie, it got a lot of attention at, I think it was TIFF, um, I was, it, one of the more disappointing movies I've seen this year. It's a, it's a real shame that they couldn't take this, to, take this all the way home. I can't say I'm surprised. I saw the trailer and I was like, "This is a, this is a lib." Movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> maybe. And like, and you know, like, like we're, we're getting more information about Adam Driver's military service. Like we 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 knew this already, but like it's come onto headlines more now that he joined the Marines immediately after 9/11, and like kind of he, he per his own quote as revenge 
like what someone does when they're 19 or 20 or however old he was is not necessarily indicative of their politic 18 years later. That said, yeah, maybe it kind of makes sense that he hasn't totally arrived at a radical politic. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it, it's a shame, and it's present in this movie. Um, at least it's not an office gym. It's just like a full-on reactionary <laughs> now. Yeah, like that's a fucking psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're right. So he's, he's better than Jim. He's better than Chris Pratt. He's got that going for him. Have you seen the Benghazi movie that no, I uh, Office Gym is in? Did you? No, I kind of want to see it then. Okay. It I, sounds totally was psycho. Was like 13 hours or something? Yeah, yeah, the Michael Bay one. Yeah, the Michael Bay Benghazi movie. Yeah, if there's anyone who should really be handling uh, Benghazi, it's Michael Bay. Like, that's, that's is um, Gina Haspel a character in this movie, the current CIA director? Um, I believe so. There are a lot of people okay. like, coming in and out of this movie, so it was hard to track. Um, yeah. Who directed this? It was a fellow by the name of Scott Burns, um, who's I don't know if I've heard of him. Uh, does not ring a bell. He apparently he did side effects and one of the Bourne movies, or he wrote one of the Bourne movies. Huh. So that that explains that, um, and a few episodes of Californication. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I wish I could recommend it because it is well made and like it does work as a procedural, and I think it probably would legitimately edu educate a lot of people on. How the torture regime was advanced, like how it was instituted, and how it ultimately came to be unraveled. Uh, but the next step politics of this movie are, are very bad um, in a liberally centrist sort of way. And I feel that this this movie would let a lot of not particularly thoughtful liberals off the hook, mm. um, and that's uh, dangerous um, and, and and ultimately harmful. So that's a shame. Oh, he did um, the informant too. In, oh, in, with, with Damon. Yeah, that was a cookie mm. movie. <laughs> it, it, it that looked, was also a true story. Didn't the Cones write that? Yeah, no, he wrote it. Really? Okay, it looks like a Cones movie then. Yeah, it really is. No, it's a Steven Soderbergh movie. Oh, um, all right. Oh, that's a that's a pretty good pedigree too. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was like another. That's like the dumb version of uh, this movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear that. But like on purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, well, what do we got next, Rossman? What are our cool. future plans? So we're going to come back in 2020 with a top 10 of the decade, which we're going to um, spread out between two episodes. So we'll do um, bottom six. bottom 10 and then top 10. <laughs> oh, is that what we're doing? No, no, no. Well, 10 through 6. 10 through 6 and, and then, then... And then 5, five through, through 1. one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I cannot think of what the 10 worst movies I saw. That would be challenging. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were some doozies. Yeah, I can, a yeah. couple spring to mind, but I don't want to make that list. I want to make the best of this. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's what we're going to yeah. do. It's, it's good. So the next episode you hear will not be about a specific movie. It's going to be about our 10 through 6 favorite movies of the 2010s. Yeah. The following episode will be 5 through 1 of the 2010s. Yeah. And then we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Yeah. So, as usual, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, please like, comment, subscribe, etc. It really does make a difference. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud. Uh, Google Play, Facebook, and we'll be back in 2020 with our favorite movies of the decade. See you then.